Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. New Year, everybody. Uh, as you're hearing this on the day it comes out, it is January 1st. And if there's one thing that New Year's has with our, our subject for today, ha- or has in common with our subject for today, it's destruction in Manhattan. So I'm really excited to be talking about Ghostbusters today. Um, we are on the precipice of the release of the fourth or perhaps fifth film in this franchise, depending on how you count them, uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. So it's the perfect time to revisit this classic uh, and help me do it. I, of course, have a, uh, a key master and a gatekeeper with me to help me because uh, this podcast won't come into the world without them. So first, uh, our key master, he is a, a friend of the podcast. Uh, his uh, cousin, Tani, has been on many, many episodes already, uh, so I'm happy to introduce him to you, and I know he is a gigantic Ghostbusters fan. Uh, welcome to the show, Dylan Gregory. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging in with this, uh, into this with you, uh, and uh, to help me, of course, like I said, we've got two guests today. Um, my other guest is uh, someone who I posted, uh, podcasted with for uh, quite a bit before, so uh, he's my oldest friend uh, here, my buddy Dan Oster. Uh, there is no Dan Oster, only Zool. <laughs> yeah, but that was true when I met you. <laughs> Since I'm the I'm the gatekeeper here, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, guys, uh, I'm really excited to dig into Ghostbusters. I mean, again, just an awesome movie. Everybody loves this one, it, and no, no secret as to why. So, um, Dylan, I'll start with you. Tell me about your nostalgic memories of, of Ghostbusters and uh, why you wanted to cover this one today. So, uh, to date myself slightly, the movie came out two years before I was born. Apparently, it was the thing I latched onto as a one- and two-year-old that I made everyone in the family watch continuously to the point where everyone can quote it just from having me in the same room. So for me and my memories, Ghostbusters has been there forever. That's been my favorite movie. The easiest thing for me to talk to about saying what I love. I still watch it two to three times annually, despite what I find on TV. And it's, it's really got everything. I mean, it starts off with ghosts, which I'm a big fan of. And then the humor is 
brilliant and smartly written and it's got some of that physical humor going on with the two with bill murray and harold ramis and i think you know it's just one of those movies where every single piece of it works flawlessly yeah i i, I agree with you i think you know, the movie obviously has so many just individual elements that are entertaining like it would be great if it was just a ghost movie or it'd be great if it was just a comedy mm-hmm. or a sci-fi movie and like it sort of does all of those things equally well and balances them which is which is kind of this movie's magic trick. Um, Dan, I'll, I'll turn over to you because I, I invited you on this one because I just know how much this movie means to you. Um, so tell me about your history with Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, when you were a kid, the idea that there was uh, something that could actually protect you against uh, the ghosts and the ghoulies was was an appealing idea, you know? This movie's uh, is 84, right? 1984? Yeah. 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 So, you know, it came out, uh, I, I was born a little bit before it, but, um, you know, as a kid, it was obviously a, a, a desired Halloween costume. You know, there was a great, uh, cartoon series, the real Ghostbusters, not to be confused with uh, the filmation Ghostbusters, which you may get into. I don't <laughs> know. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as a kid, I just really, that idea really appealed to me, you know, that these guys were, were, were out there, you know, busting ghosts. Uh, as an adult, you know, I think it's pretty wild that a bunch of Second City guys, you know, made this movie. And it seems to me like kind of the high bar for something that is uh, funny, but also a real story, a real genre movie. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just like kind of some loosely improvised bit fest, you know? Yeah, I... So to date myself, uh, this movie, gosh, this movie is now almost 40 years old uh, and I'm uh, coming up on 44. So I was I was four when this came out, but I don't remember the world before the Ghostbusters existed. Um, I, I don't remember the first time I saw it because I saw it so many times that it just, you know, it's a wash. Um, it was just always there. And I remember my, my earliest memories of it were being legitimately scared by the library ghost in the beginning. That was the one part I found actually scary. I think the rest of it I just enjoyed as being funny. Um, but it set that set me on edge, I remember as a kid, for the rest of the movie. Um, it just, like, it adds that that great feeling of, like, it is, it has the potential to be scary, even though, you know, the more you watch it, the more you realize, like, oh, this is just sort of a glorified SNL sketch um, as it goes on and on. Um, I was thinking when I watched this of, like, so, uh, Steve Martin... Uh, talked about making the jerk, which he did kind of at the very end of his stand-up career. And he said that movie was sort of the apotheosis of what my stand-up routines were all about. Like if you were to coalesce that into one thing and watching this movie sort of feels like watching Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray's SNL career do the same thing of like, if you, you know, the ultimate sketch with these guys from that era, because they are they're their interplay and all of the cast, but especially them, like it, it's at such a great level of comedic writing throughout the entire thing that it's just it's kind of unequaled as a comedy, I think. Yeah, and one of the things uh, that I have the same as you, you know, it's always been there. Going back and rewatching it, you get so many different layers as you get older, and you understand the different jokes that are coming down. Uh, and I think another uh, po- uh, thing to say about the writing and the different characters. I like I personally know that as I've gotten older and changed who I am, my favorite Ghostbuster has changed as time has mm-hmm. went on. 
like as a younger kid, it was always, of course, Venkman. He was the showy one who got everything that he wanted. And then as I got a little bit older, it became more uh, Ray Stance because, you know, he was so keen on what he loved and willing to share that with everyone. And now that I'm even older, I identify so much more with Winston of just like the situations that I'm thrown into. You know, if you got a paycheck, fine, let's just move through it. And it's been great to grow along with the movie. I'll throw some love towards Egon just because he got left out there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did, <laughs> who I, I, uh, you know, I appreciated uh, in the movie as a, as a somewhat more three-dimensional character than uh, the cartoon series, of course. Uh, you know, they had to kind of make everybody, you know, Slimer! Uh, they all got, they all, you know, became a little, a little simpler, but, um, you know, I, my favorite part, uh, in the movie with Egon, who of course is, is, you know, level-headed and, and, and strange to the extreme, uh, when he, uh, grabs, uh, uh, Walter Peck, uh, after he releases all the ghosts out into the, uh, into the New York and he's, and he's like, these, you know, these men arrest, officer arrest these men. <laughs> and Egon's like, you mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I do love that that moment where he loses his cool. Yeah, I mean, it's always the the most understated guy who is kind of the glue. And like Harold Ramis, you know, he's th- this is easily his most famous role. But like, su- such a quiet comedic genius. Um, yeah, he, he's able to deliver all this stuff so kind of patiently while uh, you know Bill Murray does all the flashier stuff. Or like, well, arguably, uh, Harold Ramis's performance is the is the least like himself out of the four of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, his character is the most, you're right, kind of like alien. You know, he's, he's you know, he is written that way to be so, uh, you know, un, unusual. Um, but, you know, it's they, it's interesting that they still made him kind of the heart and soul of afterlife. You know, like they, they managed to make that meaningful and kind of still unearth what what's in that character you know and say like yeah he mm-hmm. he he comes across as dr spock but actually within there he is like an actually a, a decent kind person and you see a little of that with you know with janine in this movie so I, I did want to talk a little bit about the writing stuff before we launch into the the movie itself that you know the behind the scenes stuff oh yeah I sorry, also the- just really quickly one of the things i want to say mentioning janine because i was like i was thinking about that and it's kind of they make this interesting choice that you know in the in the sequel she's with lewis um, and, uh, I kind of think Egon, I, I'd like to believe he's an asexual icon out there. Has <laughs> <laughs> he been claimed by the, uh, the asexual community? Cause they should. Yeah. Um, yeah, I should be. I loved li- reading about the, the writing and the, the production is a little more because you can see like, you know, how this was yet another one of those movies that kind of miraculously comes together when it shouldn't. Um, like the, the concept that Dan Aykroyd started with, was so bizarre compared to the final product that was like Ghostbusters were like, it took place in the future and like Ghostbusters was a common occurrence and it was going to be written for him and um, uh, Eddie Murphy and of course the late John Belushi and like this heady sci-fi thing. I love that he was able to sit down with Ivan Reitman and Ivan Reitman was like, no, we got to bring this down to earth. And Aykroyd was just like, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll trust you. I'll, you know, I'll yeah, change I remember my, they were, they were talking script. about that when they, uh, the, the surviving members reassembled on some talk show for the, uh, you know, the movie, the one that just, you know, the, the newer one. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Bill Murray, typical Bill Murray, kind of like half there, half checked out or whatever. And, you know, Dan Aykroyd, of course, being very 
excited and very passionate. Uh, it was talking about that. Yeah, saying, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, bring it down to earth." And then, and then Bill Murray's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's good advice. Set it on earth." <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, and, he, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, in hearing about the different gestational levels, like if I could travel across a multiverse. I would love to see all the different versions of Ghostbusters that actually came out, like the super cartoony space, but hard sci-fi one or the, you know, 15 million different times they tried talking about rebooting it with, I think Chris Rock and Chris Farley were talked about it headlining one time. And it's been, it's just fascinating what we actually got and how you can see some elements of all of that with the different uh, versions that have come out. Like I, I, I mentioned earlier, I didn't, well, when we were talking off screen, didn't really watch too much of the real Ghostbusters, but like the extreme Ghostbusters was definitely leaning a little bit more towards that high, harder sci-fi element. And yeah, just fascinating to see all that stuff coming out. Yeah. I mean, the real innovation was, I think, Reitman saying, you know, look, you, you, you've got these heady concepts, but the what will make this work is if these guys are just sort of working stiffs, right? Yeah. They are, you know, the, the uh, exterminators, you know, they just the guys that show up at your house and, you know, Oh, okay. You got a bunch of rats here. We'll set out some traps, you know, that, that very blue collar aspect to this um, is what makes all of the supernatural stuff pop. I, I think that was right. That if, if the whole world was supernatural, it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah. And everyone had, a connection to it in that blue collar level, like you were saying, it, even Walter Peck became the ultimate bureaucrat that everyone had at their job, that everyone hated. Even these guys who are saving us from a 50 foot tall marshmallow man have that same jerk at the office that they got to deal with. It was a great way of uh, grounding it for the public. Well, it's a classic sci-fi uh idiom no not idiom uh, i don't know what you'd call it you know just, trope. just sort of trope or well a bit of advice really is to change one thing mm-hmm. you know otherwise it's like jupiter ascending um but you know just <laughs> change change one thing and so you know okay so in this world uh we have exterminators that also you know we justify it go after ghosts great you know i can i can relate to it and then there's the weird part and the weird part's extra weird because so much of it's relatable I mean, you know, it's a great movie about starting a business. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of fun. You know, so much of that first part of the movie is them just like raising money for their business. And that was another Reitman innovation, too, where there was there were the ghost busting was already going to be kind of a thing that existed in the world. And Reitman said, well, let's hey, it's the 80s. Everybody's starting their own business. Let's watch them struggle with that. And I yeah. think that's good. I think that that does that really helps inform the first act of the movie and even up until the end like you you never get the sense that these guys are good at what they're doing they they're they are you know basically you know using this very very new technology they've just built out of god knows what and are just firing it into the air like you know they're not uh, you know they're they're quote unquote they call themselves the professionals but they're barely you know half a step ahead of just i mean they've gave winston one of these things a week ago or whatever it said here, strap this on your back and fight ghosts. You know, so I, I like that again, that they are out of their depth. 
Uh, so yeah, maybe we should get into it. Um, there's there's obviously a lot of stuff that'll come out along the way, but we've, it's uh, there's a lot to talk about in the movie. So I, I figure as usual, we'll kind of go beat by beat. Uh, so we open with this scene at the, the New York Public Library where uh, we get a shot of uh, the lions right there in the front. And we meet Alice, who is the most librarian-y librarian I've ever seen. Uh, she goes down to the stacks. There's some theremin music. Books and objects start moving on their own. And we see her scream in front of some sort of light source. We don't know what it is yet. Uh, and... Uh, Ray Parker Jr. kicks in. I love this opening because it doesn't open like a comedy. It opens like a like an actual horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, like, it's it's a it's a it's a tone that I think younger audiences might not even like discern as comedy. I mean, it's pretty subtle, a lot of it. Most of it. Yeah, and well, to help younger audiences won't even understand what the thing full of cards is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the building they're in. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, no, I, I love the. I mean, it's it's the, exactly the kind of thing. Like as a kid, I'm like, oh man, if I had to go down to like the lower basement of the library, like it just seems like a place that would be inherently a little bit spooky. And just immediately plays on what everyone knows. Everyone knows going into the basement is going to be the most dangerous part of the building, and they got that right out of the way, and you still have no idea what even attacks her. And then it goes into the catchiest song of the year to completely flip that whole feeling on its head. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the theme, you know, is it's iconic at this point. And you're right. It actually does. I hadn't thought about that, but that does sort of reset the tone of like, don't worry, we're in for a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so now we get to one of my fa- I think, Dan, I know this is one of your favorite scenes, which is the we get to see uh, Venkman at work. Uh, in the psychology department at Weaver Hall. <laughs> highly problematic um, scene. Highly problematic <laughs> scene. I I love that, though. I love that, like, the first thing you see is the door to their office, and it just someone wrote Venkman burn in hell on the door. <laughs> uh, and he's in there conducting in what purports to be a test on ESP, where he is, has two subjects, and he's holding up cards that they can't see. And if they correctly guess what's on the card, he does not shock them. Uh, except of course he is shocking the dude no matter what. And he's telling the girl who the, uh, the attractive other test subject that she's right. Even when she's wrong. What is it? Figure eight. Incredible. Five for five. You can't see these, can no, you? No, no. You're not cheating me, are you? No, I swear. They're just coming to me. <laughs> okay. Nervous? Yes. I don't like this. You only have 75 more to go. Okay? What's this one? It's a couple of wavy lines. Sorry. This isn't your lucky day. I <laughs> know. Get a little tired of this. You volunteered, didn't you? We're paying you, aren't we? Yeah, but I didn't know you were going to be giving me electric shocks. What are you trying to prove here anyway? I'm studying the effect of negative reinforcement on ESP ability. The effect? I'll tell you what the effect is. It's pissing me off. Well, then maybe my theory is correct. You can keep the five bucks I've had. I will, mister. 
may as well get used to that. It's the kind of resentment that your ability is going to provoke in some people. Uh, it is a perfect sketch. Yes. And a great character introduction. Yeah, it, I mean, it establishes, uh, establishes every part of him that we see throughout the rest of the movie. He is self-serving. He is uh, manipulative. He is extremely charming, so that even when we're seeing this, we're still kind of rooting for him the entire time, and has an answer for everything at the very end where he's like, well, I wanted to test the effect of negative reinforcement. So you're then wondering, was he doing that the entire time for the girl, or was that just his answer that he had coming out? Is a great introduction to a character. I mean, he's a fraud. There, yeah, it's... There, there's no shortcutting around. I mean, he's definitely just, he's just trying to get laid with the student. He is, you know, he eventually will see him get fired. And, you know, he, I forget what the dean calls them, but, you know, your work is sloppy. Your work is this, that, and the other thing. Um, it, all of that is correct. Like, everything we see about Venkman here is that he is, you know, a reprehensible shortcut taker, could not care less about anything. Um, but it gives Bill Murray the chance to just be Bill Murray as a, that, that's a verb to Bill Murray. Um, and he, nobody does this better than him. I couldn't imagine another actor alive giving this kind of a performance. Cause like this shouldn't work. We, I mean, we should not be rooting yeah. for him. It shouldn't even be funny because what he's doing is like, literally he's shocking someone <laughs> just to try and like, like be a sexual predator on this college student. Like it's gross. Well, it's just, you know, but it's, it's funny. Yeah, even when the guy is right, he's shocked well, that's the capstone the, on why it's a great sketch, which is when he yeah, finally does it. Yeah, the guy does line. actually seem to have some merit. <laughs> I know that in the um, the, the uh, Ghostbusters, I mean, I know there were many Ghostbusters video games, but kind of the main one that was meant as a sequel, mm, a canon yeah. sequel to one and two. This guy comes back as like a, you know, some sort of supercharged Oh, monster yeah. that you fight right yeah he does in the, uh, in their great. philosophy of waste not want not with these, with oh, yeah. these franchises. economy of character yeah um so anyway uh ray comes bouncing into the room he's very exciting because 10 people witnessed a full torso free floating apparition um this is one of my favorite things in the movie all this dialogue all the jargon which is what i was really paying attention to this time all of this comes from Ackroyd and it's just so fucking specific and incredible. I love every time he rattles off just either the scientific or the spiritual like uh, jargon. It's so good. Well, and now that we have hindsight, it's almost like he created the movie just as a vehicle to be able to tell the world about all that jargon that he knew himself and share it in a way that was more palatable to the general audience. Like uh, I think if his, if his uh, obsession wasn't real, I don't know if it would have played as well for Ray Stance, but it just made it so much better for the movie. Yeah, I know it's like a family thing. Like his, I don't know if it was one of his parents or his grandparents was a spiritualist, you know, in, in like the 20s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think someone in his family wrote a book on ghosts, which, you know, it sounds like he had the real Tobin's spirit guide. Like it, <laughs> all, all of his like, you know, real world, you know, conspiracy theory stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like the best possible use of it. It's, it's just every time you hear one of these, you know, it's a you know, class five free roaming vapor or whatever. Like it's, mm-hmm. it just sounds like, yeah, he's got the textbooks on ghosts. It's real. It's so good. 
the other thing we get out of this is uh, Egon pops in and he, he also chimes in. He mentions that the PKE valences are off the top of the scale, which I guess is like, you know, the higher the number, the more it's haunted. Yeah, psychokinetic th- this, energy, I believe, or parakinetic, paranormal kinetic energy? No, probably psych. I think it's psychokinetic. Probably psychic, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that suggests that this ghost phenomenon is starting to ramp up and has been for a while. Um, we'll find out more about that kind of later in the movie, but I like that. Like they, they are, this is not like their first rodeo with goats. Like they have been working at this for some time. And so we, we, they, they go off to the library to investigate. And is this where, uh, Ray says something about, he witnessed an undersea mass sponge migration. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Venkman gets him to calm down. And he says, you forget, I was there at the mass undersea sponge migration. And you also get more of the intro into Ray because Venkman's response is they moved five feet. Like, dude is excited about one of the most mundane things anyone has ever seen. And then you got the foil of Venkman telling him, just ignore it, go after women. Um, And uh, another thing that I really like about seeing the three of them interact so quickly together freaking tortures Harold Ramis in the beginning when you first get introduced to him by pounding on the table and then dropping the book mm-hmm. completely unfazed. It's okay. That's what Bankman does. This is who my friend is. Let's move forward with the excitement of finding the ghost. Yeah. I think, I think a lesser movie might've had to spend the extra time to show all three of them meeting each other for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think here it's better to just start with it. Yeah. They're, they're all, you know, they're a tight group already. Mm-hmm. These uh, these weirdos, um, and they interview Alice, the librarian. Alice, I'm going to ask you a couple of standard questions, okay? Have you or any member of your family ever been diagnosed schizophrenic, mentally incompetent? My uncle thought he was Saint Jerome. I'd call that a big yes. Uh, are you habitually using drugs, stimulants, alcohol? No. No, no. Just asking. Are you, Alice, menstruating right now? What has that got to do with it? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. And they find out, you know, she describes her encounter with the ghost. Uh, they, they, try, they ask her a whole bunch of questions to see if maybe she's crazy. Uh, she says she, her uncle thought she, he was St. Jerome. And then I love this interchange where he asks, you know, are you menstruating? And someone goes like, what are you doing that? And he just hit the line of, you know, back off, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> uh, like on paper, like already kind of funny, but just in Bill Murray's hands, like a line like that becomes just perfect. What has that got to do with it? <laughs> and I think St. Jerome has something to do with like ghosts or mental illness, whatever the... I don't have it off like the top of my head, but it is something relevant to the situation as well, which just another brilliant sign of the writing. Yeah. I mean, again, this is probably Aykroyd infusing this stuff into the script, right? All of his ghost knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, So like when they, they, they then go down into the stacks, um, you know, they see the books stacked uh, and Bankman comments, no one would, no human would stack books like this. And then Ray says something about, oh, it's just like the Philadelphia mass disturbance of 1947. I didn't look it up, but I'm, I, that's got to be a reference to some real world event, right? I mean, the, all of the uh, stuff that, that he talks about is. Yeah, I, I don't know that one, but probably. 
And then they see now. I just want to go through the movie and write down every reference like that and go down. Yeah, was there like a time dilation or whatever? Yeah, because they mentioned the Tunguska blast at the very end, which definitely was a real thing. Yeah, yeah, all of that. The Tunguska blast, by the way, is like a comet that like exploded over Russia. But I love that. Like, yes, of course, it in Ray's world, it is a spiritual, you know, ghost event. And so we go to they they explore a little further i hear i love this line listen do you smell something (laughs) really subtle really subtle like joke i'd missed so many i've seen this movie a hundred times i never noticed Mm -hmm. that um but they find the ectoplasm which is like the the iconography of this franchise is so you know just solid like the 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 pke meter the proton packs we'll see later all of it and that includes the ectoplasm which i assume both of you owned at some point a canister oh, of slime labeled as ectoplasm. Sure, oh, yeah. I'm sure I did, yeah. And the very toy-level proton pack with the foam tube coming out of it to represent the proton stream. I definitely tortured everyone in my household with that. I, I remember, uh, I don't. I didn't have a proton pack. I did have a fair number of uh, the real Ghostbusters action figures, and I definitely drank my share of ecto-cooler as well. Yes. Hecto Cooler remained in production for quite some time, like well they, into the 21st century. I think they've brought it back on some rare occasions. It's like the McRib, but rarer. <laughs> um, yeah, so the idea they, that you're, well, you're drinking like Slimer's ball sweat or whatever. I don't know what I don't know what the uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the lore is behind Hecto Cooler. Yeah. Um, but the one important thing we get out of the, the ectoplasm, we'll find out later, is that like this is the the clue that allows them to develop the technology to trap ghosts. But um, we'll get there. So they, they make their way further to the library, and they find this purple floating ghostly librarian, uh, and they decide to make to- uh, contact with her. Hello. I'm Peter. Where are you from originally? All right, okay. The usual stuff isn't working. Okay, I have a plan. I know exactly what to do. Now stay close. Stay close. I know. Do exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! Vegman, of course, tries to be the the mouth and fails. So Ray has a plan, which is to just lunge at her. Uh, at which point, yeah, it transforms into this hideous thing that scared the crap out of me as a kid. Uh, also, I want to know what Egon was trying to figure out with the calculator. Like, you see the ghost standing there. What computation could he have been working on in that moment? It seemed like, but you know, it's just one of those those jokes the one we got the physical comedy and we will never find out never touched on again about doing math when facing a ghost uh yeah did i mean were either of you guys actually scared by this moment like i was or or no am i just a big weenie no i was the library yeah the library ghost yeah yeah it's terrifying yeah uh i think up i mean i saw it so often that went away quickly but i remember definite feet skipping of like that moment when I was way younger, like let's fast forward slightly to get past the 
terrifying skull creature. Because the great special effects, that's one of the things that really surprised me going back, I don't know, maybe five, ten years ago to, to like actively look at what was special effects and what wasn't. It's got to be one of the best special effects in, in a movie for that time period. Yeah, the effects in this really hold up uh, because they yeah. are practical and mostly puppets and, and stuff. I mean, it all looks great. And I um, I, I need to I, it's been I only watched Afterlife the once. I was curious to see if they were managed to kind of maintain this aesthetic because I know they obviously used a lot more digital stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, I just love the tactile nature of these ghosts. Like there's something about mm-hmm. them being these translucent glowing things that kind of makes the puppetry seem less uh, you know obvious. It kind of hides a lot of sins. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So we go, uh, so they, they tear ass out of the library um, <laughs> uh, to this kind of like, I don't even, I don't have the tracks and listings in front of me, like what the, the score calls this. Yeah. It's like Ghostbusters rag is what this is. Yeah. I, I love the score in this movie. I think a lot of the, uh, the the licensed music or the songs are generally terrible. <laughs> I think they drive me nuts because they're super literal. Um, but I think the the score is uh, is really good. And this the, these like tracks, whenever you hear them, like it immediately takes you back to. The yeah, movie. I mean, you only get a little bit in the movie, but yeah, if you own the soundtrack, like uh, I'm sure we did, uh, you get to enjoy yeah, sort of a, a bop about the Ghostbusters that you didn't know was out there. Yeah, uh, I really fell in love with the soundtrack a second time with the video game you're talking about because that's a 35-hour game that they use just the Ghostbusters original soundtrack to, and it never felt repetitive. It didn't feel like it was dropping anywhere, and that amazed me that that one soundtrack could hold up for that many more hours, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so let's see, where are we in my notes? Oh, uh, so they, yeah, they go back, they're on their way back to the university and Egon says that, you know, what they've learned about the ionization rate of ghosts will enable them to actually trap one. Um, uh, again, more gobbledygook, but, you know, really convincing gobbledygook. Uh, and Bill Maria gives, uh, gives him a candy bar for his good work. <laughs> oh, yeah, this I is a, a very you know. subtle character trait that Egon has a sweet tooth. Yes. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. I, I just, yeah. I, my feeling is I, I, whenever I watch this, I, I know this movie came out later, but I can't watch Bill Murray hand him a candy bar without thinking of little shop of horrors. Uh, because yeah, but it's also the great line of, I'm going to take back all those things I've said about you. <laughs> right. You've, you've earned it. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. it's a very subtle thing, but I, I believe they kind of deliberately sort of see that, uh, Egon has a sweet tooth. I think the Twinkie is his. Yeah, yes. yeah, Twinkie's his the yeah the biggest Chekhov's yes. gun in existence. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I think uh, it's just like a weird little character trait as well. Yeah. Uh, so they return to the the uh, the university. They get fired by Dean, you know, Krusty Yeager. Hey, Dean Yeager. Uh, <laughs> it, Dean? Isn't that freaking Chekhov mentioning his gun from uh, Star Trek? I think that is Walter Koenig. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't even notice that that was uh, Dean Yeager. No, that's Koenig. not Walter Koenig. Is it not? isn't. Okay. No, he does look ca- kind of like him, but he's yeah, no. probably a little too no. old. I'm fairly certain it's not. I mean, if I'm wrong, then then come at me. But I don't believe so. I can Google it. I'll take your yeah. word for it. <laughs> uh, 
so we cut to them, you know, they're drinking, they're, they've just been fired. And, uh, you know, Vegman, Vegman is like totally unflappable in yeah. even up against the end of the world. And so I just love his kind of like, Oh, we'll be fine. Einstein did his best work as a patent clerk. And, uh, he then almost goes into a musical number when he starts talking about call it fate, call it, call karma. it luck. like he's call it karma. It, I always feel like he's about to sing. Cause like the score kind of meets his mm-hmm. like voc- voice where it is. It's weird. Forget MIT or Stanford. Now they wouldn't touch us with a 10 meter cattle prod. You're always so concerned about your reputation. Einstein did his best stuff when he was working as a patent clerk. You know how much a patent clerk earns? No. Personally, I like the university. They gave us money and facilities. We didn't have to produce anything. You've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I've worked in the private sector. They expect results. For whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? To go into business for ourselves. This ecto-containment system that Spengler and I have in mind is going to require a load of bread to capitalize. Where are we going to get the money? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Um, I'm sure that's like a deliberate thing where the score is supporting it. the uh, actor, for those that are curious, is Jordan Charney. We all remember him. Uh, he does kind of look like Walter. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm okay. not going to uh, Lee Roth. But... Yeah, exactly. Before he changed his name. Or after he changed his <laughs> uh, And I, I like this kind of through line here where they sort of take advantage of poor Ray. Because he's, yes. the, you know, the sweet one of like, well. Everybody we has this... three mortgages on their house. Three mortgages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he mentioned something about like oh there's 19 percent interest yeah. on this loan just like oof like, like i think the the rate today on something like that would be like three you know like that's that's real bad <laughs> my grandfather um, built that house <laughs> <laughs> yep uh but they're creating the indispensable defense science and and i love this knowing line the franchise rights alone will make us rich uh didn't know it at the time but of course very meta uh and so we go to the firehouse. This like really awesome, like iconic set of the firehouse, which on the exterior is a real place in New York, uh, and on the interior is like a decommissioned fire station in Los Angeles somewhere. Hmm. So, uh, but yeah, if you wander around Central Park, you can find the the Ghostbusters firehouse. It's there because they couldn't film inside it because they were actually you know firemen using it, <laughs> fighting fires and such. So. Um, yeah, and then we have our scene with our, our realtor trying to sell them uh, on this dilapidated space, which, uh, again, very funny. I'm surprised the realtor didn't come back as a boss monster in the video game. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, uh, well, one thing that does well, come back it, it, yeah, is there mention that, like, the wiring is shitty, which is like, yeah. sort of feeds into the, like, environmental disaster, quote-unquote, that will happen later. Well, and it's also one of the scenes where they take care of Ray, even though they, you know, take advantage of him all the time. Both Egon and Vankman don't want to have anything to do with that building. He slides down the pole once and it's sold. Well, Ray is yeah. a puppy. Yes. <laughs> that, I mean, that's basically what he is. Like, he's a big kid. And, I mean, yeah, Egon is correct. He's like, you know, this building should be condemned. <laughs> um, but yeah, great little moment here. Uh, and now we, the plot really kicks into gear 
because uh, we see Dana come home uh, to her apartment. She's holding the standard movie grocery bag, so it has greens coming out the top of it to let you know she bought groceries. Does she have a baguette, and, I hope, as well? Uh, no baguette. Yeah. No, I was looking mm-hmm. for No it. baguette? No. Uh, but we meet uh, Louis Tully, played by uh, the beautiful Rick Moranis. Oh, Dan, it's you. Oh, hi. Yes, Louis, it's me. I thought it was a drugstore. Oh, are you sick? Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I feel great. Just ordered some more vitamins and stuff. I was just exercising. I taped 20-minute workout on my machine and played it back at high speed, so it only took 10 minutes. I got a great workout. Good. You want to come in for a mineral water? Oh, I'd really like to, um, Louis, but I have to go to rehearsal now. Excuse me. No sweat. I'll take a rain check on that. I always have plenty of low-sodium mineral water and other nutritious foods in the house, but you already know that. Yeah, I know that. Listen, that reminds me, I'm having a big party for all my clients. My fourth anniversary is an accountant, you know, and even though you do your own tax return, which you shouldn't do, I'd like you to stop by, being that you're my neighbor and all. Well, thank you, Louis. I'll really try to stop by. Listen, that reminds me, you shouldn't leave your TV on so loud when you go out. The creep down the hall phone the manager. Oh, that's strange. I didn't realize I left it on. Oh, yeah, you know what I did? I climbed on the ledge and tried to disconnect the cable, but I couldn't get in. So, you know what I did? I turned up my TV real loud, too, so everyone to think that Bye, both Louis. our TVs had something wrong with them. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? I'll give you a call. I'm going to have a shower. Uh, And very beginning gets locked out of his apartment. Yeah, running Uh, gag. We'll see over and over again. He keeps locking himself out. Which it took me far too long to realize that the... I think he's the key master, right? Yes, that's Clortho. The key master. Yeah, key master keeps getting locked out of his apartment. I, <laughs> Perfect. Great. Oh, I never yeah. put that together. That's that is. Clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like the, the the thing he says here. He does workout videos at double the speed. <laughs> yeah. You know, he can do it in a 20 minute workout in 10 minutes. Um, I, I feel like and I know that I know that he Rick Moranis improvised a lot of the stuff he says at the uh, the party that comes later in the movie mm-hmm. but his stuff to me feels very just like yeah let's just get this brilliant sctv guy in here and let him do what he does best when he wasn't first it was supposed to be john candy i believe who wanted to do it really um either german or russian something yeah Eastern yeah he had some very weird ideas if i recall he wanted to do it with a german accent and have a very small dog yeah and just a, so happy they said no to that because Rick Moranis works perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is a version where John Candy could turn in a great performance as this character just because John Candy was so talented and funny. Ooh, yeah. um, but the energy that Rick Moranis brings to this, especially, you know, trying to being paired up against Sigourney Weaver, who's mm-hmm. like twice as tall as him. Um, there's something very funny about his like earnestness trying to get her to always like come to parties and things. Um, it's very sweet, but he does tell her, Hey, it was weird. Your, your, t- your TV was on. So I turned mine up loud. So <laughs> yeah. people didn't know it was yours. Um, well, she, it, worse yeah. than that. I tried to unplug it and couldn't figure out how to like blow your breaker. So I turned mine up loud. So somebody would think there's something wrong with the building. Like the amount of energy this guy put into this, it shows him just being hopelessly in love with his neighbor who has some idea, but probably not really appreciating how much effort he's putting in there. Yeah. 
And this is a good time to camp out on Sigourney Weaver because she gives such a good performance here. And it's so I know she was nervous about doing a comedy because she was so known for these very serious or action heavy roles from before this, like Alien. And like she she crushes it like she she is Mm -hmm. so necessary to be the like thing to sort of be Venkman's foil here because he's he's such a strong like flavor of a character like you kind of need her her gravitas to kind of make this work. Yeah, it's a great through line through both the movies. Um, I think she gets a lot more chance to put him in his place in Ghostbusters 2, but that would make sense with, you know, five years later with the relationship. But she is a real kind of like Egon. She's a ground. She's lightning rod. She grounds everybody with her calmness and the, the way she carries herself throughout the movie, I think. She yeah, she does a phenomenal job throughout the whole thing. This is probably my first experience seeing Sigourney Weaver as well. I don't know about you two, but yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I sure, I'm sure I saw this before I saw anything else she was in. Gorillas in the Mist. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, well, I mean, she certainly yeah. was. I mean, as a kid, you probably saw her in this first. Yeah, you know, Alien. Yeah. Uh, no, my parents were not going to let me watch Alien at that age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, probably not. Yeah. Uh, have not shown that one to my seven-year-old yet, but uh, you know, there's time. Uh, so she comes home, she watches the Ghostbusters' commercial, um, which is delightfully low rent, even for 1984. Yes. Uh, uh, but as she begins to kind of just putter around her house, all of a sudden things start to go haywire. The eggs jump out of uh, their container on the counter and start cooking themselves. Um, uh, she hears this growling from the fridge. She opens it to see this like neon pyramid out of like a, the front of a trapper keeper. Uh, we see the dog creatures that the devil dogs or whatever you call them. Uh, and they snarl and we hear the word Zool, uh, and she screams. And we also get our first view of, uh, the marshmallow man right yes. next to the eggs is a bag of stay puff marshmallows. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All the um, monsters in the same scene. I like this because again, it's like it's going for horror in the middle of a comedy. And I just think mm-hmm. that like the creativity of like these eggs cooking themselves is like such a neat idea. Yeah. Like, how do we express rather than just have like more ghosts appear? What can we do? That's different. I'd love to see how they did that. I know it's in one. Of, I think it's in one of the documentaries that I'm not remembering, but that's a great effect of them popping and then cooking with nothing else being touched. Yeah. It's a perfect practical effect. Like you believe these eggs are moving mm-hmm. on their own. Yeah, this movie has a lot of, you know, it's, it's a lot of mix of pretty cool, like, puppets and, like, crazy stuff mm-hmm. going on. And then just, like, hey, we stacked books. We did a, a, a cool camera trick and stacked the books really fast while they were off camera. And we got the eggs that are cooking on the counter. You know, some real good practical stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the design of the, the like, other world that we see inside the fridge because we only get, oh, it's the, rad. We get it here and we get it at the end yeah yeah, yeah it's this. it's weird yeah it's it's very uh distinctly 1980s but still like menacing even though it's like it should be kind of comical in sort of how 80s it is but like there's something like because it is so bizarre like i yeah. still buy it as like this is the this is gozer's dimension yeah i mean it's very, weirdly it's almost tranquil it's strange but very alien like, you know that there's not a, just a door behind that fridge. Something happened that is completely outside all of our realm of understanding to see it. Um, 
Yeah. You don't generally see that kind of behavior in a major appliance. <laughs> no, you don't. Generally. Generally. Uh, uh, all right. So we move on to, we're back at the firehouse. They are putting up a very tiny Ghostbusters banner over the, uh, <laughs> over the arch. You don't uh, think we get it's our first too look small, at- dude. You don't think people are going to drive by <laughs> and that's the sign. Uh, and we get our first look at what will become one of the most iconic vehicles in media, uh, Ecto-1. We get the its original form where it's all black and like burned out. And uh, Egon lists off, or Ray, they list off all of the different things it needs, like shocks, <laughs> suspension, brakes. Um, Brake pads. Yeah. And uh, we... That, I was just going to say, it's such a fantastic list of... Why the heck would they have purchased that with all of those things that he needs? Like, yes, they consistently make poor just, financial choices. And, yes. you know, oh, yeah. But I think the Ecto one is just an awesome car. Like in, in like the long list of like memorable like movie vehicles with like the Millennium Falcon or the DeLorean and you know, all these this to me, this one's way up there. In yeah. these like yeah. iconic movie vehicles. It has its own I, iconic siren. Is that siren? Uh, an actual siren from anything else, or is it just did they kind of come up with their own for that? Oh, I don't know. It certainly doesn't. I mean, it's possible that like sometimes sirens in other countries have different yeah. sounds to them. So I remember I know, but it's, you it's know, lower for a long time thinking because it was black originally that it was like a hearse or something, but it is an ambulance. It's like an old ambulance. I thought it was a hearse. No, I believe it, it's actually an old ambulance. I saw um, a quote from Dan Aykroyd somewhere that said, like, it was an ambulance. We turned into a hearse and then back into an ambulance again. Oh, so now we're, bo- we're both right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't really know. But, I mean, yeah, it definitely has that. It does remind you of a hearse, mm-hmm. uh, which fits. But, yeah, I just I, I wasn't crazy about all of the, like, c- weird additions they made to it over the years. That, like, you know, it has that, like, swivel car with a turret in, in Afterlife. Yeah, um, you know that kind of stuff because it's not meant to. It's not the turtle van. You know, like it is just right. to, you know a place to get. It's a junkie. Place place. It's a junkie thing. So uh, it's a 1959 Cadillac Miller Meteor Sentinel uh, limo style end loader combination car ambulance Thanks, conversion. <laughs> so I guess it's technically an ambulance, um, but it could have been a lot of things, and they and they sort of messed with it. Well, I, the '50s look of it, you know, the fins and stuff. It's just the mm-hmm. the graphic design on it is so good. We see the Ghostbusters logo, you know. When yeah, we it's see kind it, of a, it's, it's a really cool. a non-existent vehicle, even in, even before they messed with it. I think they already had kind of messed with it. Well, that's smart because that makes it unique. Like it's not like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you you just took this black Dodge whatever and put the bat you know bat logo on it, and now it's the Batmobile. It's you know it's something different. Um. Uh, so and we meet uh, we meet Janine here. You know we we see they're not getting any calls. You know the the business is not they have nothing to do. Um, and we find out that uh, Egon collects spores, mold, and fungus. Very handy, I can tell. I bet you like to read a lot too. Print is dead. Oh, that's very fascinating, Timmy. I read a lot myself. Some people think I'm too intellectual, but I think it's a fabulous way to spend your spare time. I also play racquetball. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. That's it. And his tech support. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I again, like you talked about this before, but this like this arc of like you know they're trying to get this business going and failing, like this scene of them having kind of nothing to do and they're just draining money. Mm-hmm. Um, it just worked really, really well for their, their to establish like their scrappiness. Um, 
And this is when they get their first customer because Dana comes in to report the goings on at her apartment. Uh, and I love how Bill Murray just vaults over that railing to get to her. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Up and I- then runs and jumps over there. Like it's a wonderfully shot scene. Yep. Yeah. That feels and, uh, uh, accidental. Him catching his foot. I wonder if there's like a take somewhere where he just yeah. face plants, like he barely <laughs> clears it. Um, but they, um, they interview her. They put that thermal camera mm-hmm. on her. Uh, and Egon says, well, she's telling the truth, or at least she thinks she is. And then Ray and Egon both propose these like parapsychological theories that are not <laughs> ghosts. It's like, oh, well, it could be, you know, some sort of a, you know, past lives, memories intruding on the present and stuff like that. So, they're not above like all of this other kinds of like mumbo jumbo either, aside from ghosts. They are true parapsychologists. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I know my fascination with parapsychology definitely started from this movie. And all of those things that they're listing could explain the situation. As, and I like uh, it shows that they're scientists at heart because they come up with ideas and then ways to validate those ideas. How do we prove? what we're thinking is happening here. Let's go read these different books and check it out with different people. Yep. Uh, and so they split up. So uh, Ray is going to go check the history of this building. Uh, Egon's going to go look up Zool in Tobin's spirit guide. And uh, Venkman is going to go inspect the apartment, which is the next thing that happens. He's there in her apartment. He's got this like squirt bottle thing. Yeah. I don't know what this is. This never comes up again in like the iconography of like Ghostbuster tools. I have no idea what this thing is. Oh, it's like a sniffer. I think they, they, it's an actual device. Uh, I remember watching some kind of behind the scenes and it's, you know, it's just for like, you know, gauging the level of something in the air. Yeah. I love that. There's sort of like, there isn't the sex jokes in this are sort of subtle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not on front street. It made it okay for a kid to watch. So he says something like, you know, she's like, oh, that's the bedroom. Nothing happened in there. And he says, like, oh, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, stuff that went right over my head as a kid. Yes. Um, but uh, the fridge is normal. Uh, and uh, so he then just decides to hit on her. Look at all the junk food. Oh, God damn it. Look, this wasn't You actually eat this Look, stuff? this wasn't here. There was nothing here. There was a space, and there was a, a building or something with flames coming out of it, and there were creatures writhing around, and they were growling and snarling, and there were flames, and I heard a voice say, Zool. It was right here. I'm sorry. I'm just not getting any reading. Well, are you sure you're using that thing correctly? Well, there's not, I think so, but I'm sure there are no animals in there. <sighs> well, that's great. Either I have a monster in my kitchen or I'm completely crazy. I don't think you're crazy. Oh, good. That makes me feel so much better. Let me tell you something about myself. I come home from work to my place, and all I have is my work. There's nothing else in my life. Dr. I meet you, and I say, my God, there's someone with the same problem I have. Yes, we both have the same problem, you. I'm going to go for broke. I am madly in love with you. I don't believe this. Will you please leave? And then she threw me out of her life. She thought I was a creep. She thought I was a geek, and she probably wasn't the first. You are so odd. 
No. I've got it. No, 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 no. I'll prove myself to you. It's not necessary. Yeah, I'll solve your little problem. Okay. And then you'll say, Pete Venkman's a guy who can get things done. Right. I wonder what makes him tick. I wonder. I wonder if he'd be interested in knowing what makes me tick. Right. I'll bet you're going to be thinking about me after I'm gone. I bet I am. No kiss. Look, he got the work out of the way. So, you know, now it's yeah. time for the fun. They hate this. I like to torture him. <laughs> <laughs> or the great line, are you using that thing correctly? Well, I, I think I am. Yeah, again, that, that idea of like this, no one knows what this equipment really does or how it works. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Or at least maybe Egon and Ray do, but he certainly doesn't. Um, very, very funny stuff. Um, so they... Yeah, she she finally tosses him out, um, and there's a moment of Lewis being locked out again. <laughs> uh, and so now we're at them having their their dinner of Chinese food with the last of the petty cash, but thankfully we got one, uh, and they're off to the Sedgwick Hotel to confront Slimer. This whole sequence is great. Like this first like true encounter, like they're in their uniforms, they've got the proton mm. packs. Like Ecto One now has its you know paint job like. We're, we're actually going to go ghost busting now. And they bust in the doors to have nobody know what's happening. Well, the hotelier, like this guy who's like sort of John Cleese looking, um, yeah. is, you know, does say like, there's like stories about the 12th floor. Like again, layering this idea of like this ghosts are around in this world, but something's ramping up uh, mm-hmm. for reasons that we'll, we'll learn about later. Um, he said like the owners don't like talking about it. Um, I love this little like Mel Brooks scene between them and, and this guy in front of the elevator. What are you, some kind of a cosmonaut? What are you supposed to be, some kind of a cosmonaut? <laughs> no, we're exterminators. Somebody saw a cockroach up on 12. That's got to be some cockroach. Bite your head off, man. Going up. I'll take the next one. Yeah. This feels like it's right out of the producers to me, like this interview. That guy's got, uh, he makes the most out of it. He's got like three lines. He makes the most out of every single one, you know? It's like, yeah. nah, buddy, we're exterminators. Somebody saw a cockroach up on the 13th floor. It must be some cockroach. <laughs> we'll get yeah, the again, next like, one. It is a sketch movie. Yeah. We'll get to yeah. Um, I, and I like this little scene of them in the elevator too. Again, acknowledging we don't know what we're doing. Like, well, what's to worry about? We're each wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on our back, or really, flipping the switch and then the other two backing up away from it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so they've never had a successful test of the equipment. <laughs> um, and so they, yeah. So now they go uh, to the twelfth floor. They start looking around for ghosts. And uh, they almost immediately kill this poor like housekeeper. <laughs> the hell are you doing? We thought you were someone else is a great response to that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's split up. Yeah, we can do more damage that way. Yep. Uh, and so they do. They split up and uh, Bill Murray runs into the onion ghost, a.k.a. Slimer. Uh, which I thought that the onion head ghost like had that name because it kind of has the shape of an onion, but apparently the puppet itself just smelled real bad. <laughs> uh, Bit of trivia. I mean, there's got to be a ton of latex on there. I can't imagine it smelled good. So yeah, 
it does beg the question of like this in theory used to be a living person. Like what was Slimer like <laughs> when he was alive? Well, you know who he was based on. Right. John well, Belushi. Yeah. So what are they saying about John Belushi? Did he smell like onions? Just a slob Probably. that just eats and I, I guess, but I, I'm still just within the like fiction of the world though. The idea of like, mm. well, you know, grandpa dies and then he becomes this slathering thing that haunts this hotel floor. Oh. If we're going to connect it to Mel Brooks, it's going to be the guy from uh, History of the or see the History of the World, Life of Brian, who explodes from eating too much food. Oh, that's a uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Yeah, Meaning of Life. Of. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That this is definitely the ghost of that guy, Mister Creosote. I think is that uh, yes. that character. Um. So yeah, they uh, the thing just attacks Venkman. And Ray comes and finds him covered in slime, which Ray is thrilled about. Uh, awesome. Uh, and he and Bill Murray feels funky. Uh, so they go down to the ballroom uh, and they try and blast him there. And eventually they do succeed, um, but not before we get the warning about crossing the streams. There it is on the ceiling. That's the one that got me. Right, boys. Ready? Throw it! I did that! I did that! That's my fault! It's okay. The table broke the fall. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good-bad thing. What do you mean, bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. All right, Ray, take the left. Egon, take the right. <laughs> Uh, I also think this has one of the most quotable lines in the movie where Venkman pulls out the uh, tablecloth, says, the flowers are still standing. <laughs> That's one of those great lines. Any, I know for me and my friends, anytime we did something that only kind of vaguely worked for what we planned, that was a great line to save the embarrassment. Yeah, I, that feels improvised as well. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, like it's just you know, oh yeah, that was in the audio. Let's keep that part of the take. They probably did that. Maybe what? Maybe they only did it once, you know, because they know that it had to crash yeah. anyway. You know, um, yeah, it's a great moment. But I love this whole thing about the you know, don't cross the streams because it it becomes such this thing of like don't ever do this. But then when they end up doing it at the end, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of these things in movies where someone goes, don't ever do this, and then they do it, and nothing happens. Um, so that to me, this is like the classic one. Um, but yeah, you ma- imagine every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light, which is a great way to describe this. Um, but yes, they, uh, they trapped the ghost. They came, they saw, they kicked its ass. And I love, again, we get the like jargon about what Slimer is, his classification. And he, they said, it's $5,000 for this. <laughs> he won't pay it. Uh, really, really great. And, um, we, this kicks us into the the Ghostbusters montage of now things are Uh, good, their business is great. 
Thank you. Hope we can help you again. Coming through a one-class Good morning, I'm Roger Grimsby. Today, the entire eastern seaboard is alive with talk of incidents of paranormal activity. Alleged ghost sightings and related supernatural occurrences have been reported across the entire tri-state area. Well, everybody has everybody heard ghost stories around the campfire. Heck, my grandma used to spin yarns about a spectral locomotive that would rocket past the farm where she grew up. But now, as if some unforeseen authority... There's something strange in the neighborhood. Larry King. The phone-in topic today, ghosts and ghost busting. The controversy builds, more sightings are reported. Some maintain that these professional paranormal eliminators in New York are the cause of it all. Real quick, one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie is when they're trying to figure out how much to charge. You see Egon do the 4000 when Vakeman's going down the list of how much everything costs. So they're working together to come up with this idea of how much it costs, which is a great bit of uh, world building and humor. Yeah, they clearly have no price schedule. I mean, at, at all. Anyway, yeah. I mean, Venkman's just making this up as he goes. Oh, we have a special on storage today. But I love seeing Egon in on it because you realize that it's all of them together making up the numbers. I also appreciate that you have to pay for storage, which means that basically once yeah. they capture a ghost, you're indefinitely on the hook. <laughs> yes, for, because yeah, uh, when you are a ghost and you are trapped by the Ghostbusters, that is a afterlife sentence in in perpetuity. Um, so yeah, so this is our our montage of you know of the Ghostbusters kicking ass. They're on the covers of magazines. Ghost fever is gripping New York. Um, we get cameos from Larry King and Casey Kasem. Uh, I, I love all this. Like it just, it's just really fun. They, they work in that joke about, uh, Ray getting this ghost blowjob where mm-hmm. I guess there <laughs> yeah, was, a, there was a whole really out of nowhere. It, well, there was a deleted scene. It was going to go on for longer. And they, 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 I guess they spent all that time and energy on the gag. So they said, uh, oh, it'll be a dream that he has. Like, we just want to use that footage. So there was actually some sequence that was cut from the movie where that would have fit in more naturally. Yeah, it's supposed to be at a fort or something. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading yeah. that. Um, and I like that, like, you get a shot of, like, Dana, like, seeing them succeed on TV, and she's kind of, like, charmed by that. It's really mm-hmm. cute. Uh, and so now uh, we meet Winston, who's come to join the team. Uh, because they've been, they, now they're actually overworked. They've gone from having no business to they, they can't keep up. And um, Ray just hires them on the spot. Like, no interview, no nothing. Yeah, we just need a a bot. So you're in. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? Uh, If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. I gotta get some sleep. I'm dying. You don't look good. I don't? Well, you look better. You didn't used to look like this. Here's the paper on in Brooklyn. She paid with Visa. Here's tonight's worksheet. Oh, great. Two more free repeaters. This is Winston Zedmore. He's here about the job. 
Beautiful, you're hired. Ray Stance, Pete Venkman. Congratulations. Can you help Thank me, please? You. Welcome aboard. Yeah, I believe yeah, I heard he, that the original kind of concept was that he was going to be, like, overqualified. Um, but then, yeah, they just changed it into kind of like, um, regular Joe. Yeah, I like how I, they hand him the traps immediately. Just Yeah, as if he knows what to do with them. I, well, I also mm. think that, like, again, in terms of, like, grounding the movie, this is, again, that, like, street-level guy going, like, this shit's weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. You, you need that character... And it's interesting because you kind of start the Ghostbusters that way, but now that we're this far into the movie and Ghostbusting has become common for them, uh, you need that. You need to kind of refresh that by bringing Winston in. Uh, so, let's see. So we get to uh, uh, Dana meeting Venkman again outside of, uh, I guess, wherever their their rehearsal space is because she's a a cellist or a violinist. Uh, she plays in an orchestra, and Venkman starts telling her about Gozer uh, and Zool. Uh, who their research has revealed was this demigod worshipped 6,000 years ago. And I love her. Well, what's he doing in my icebox? Um, and I love this like weird guy who's like she, her coworker, who's just like hanging around squirting nasal spray. Um, just Like you didn't need him for the scene, but it just adds this really wonderful, like funny layer of like, you know, why is this dude horning in on this scene between the two of them? And also the street performers was an interesting choice to have them spinning in the background. And then Venkman is kind of dressed like them and joining them afterwards is it, it added a, a whimsical part to this, to the movie, just as whole scene did. Yeah. And once again, the score kind of meets him, right? Like all of a sudden the score starts yeah. going like, dun, 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 as he starts twirling. Um, it's a really fun moment between the two of them, but I like that. Like they're still working on her case. Like they have not busted any mm-hmm. ghosts in her apartment. They haven't, as far as we know, haven't gone back there, but like they're still trying to help this lady out with her Zool problem. Uh, and so now we get, uh, this, they're touring Winston around, you know, still trying to show him here's our containment unit where we trap the ghosts when we're done with them. Uh, and, uh, Walter Peck arrives from the environmental protection agency, who wants to see where the ghosts go. Are you Peter Venkman? Yes, I'm Dr. Venkman. Exactly what are you a doctor of, Mr. Venkman? Well, I have PhDs in parapsychology and psychology. I see. And now you catch ghosts. Yeah, you could say that. And how many ghosts have you caught, Mr. Venkman? I'm not at liberty to say. And where do you put these ghosts once you catch them? Into a storage facility. And would this storage facility be located on these premises? Yes. And may I see this storage facility? No. And why not, Mr. Venkman? Because you did not use the magic word. What is the magic word, Mr. Venkman? Please. May I please see the storage facility, Mr. Pick? Why do you want to see the storage facility? Well, because I'm curious. I want to know more about what you do here. Frankly, there have been a lot of wild stories in the media, and we want to assess any possible environmental impact from your operation. For instance, the presence of noxious, possibly hazardous waste chemicals in your basement. 
Now you either show me what is down there, or I come back with a court order. You go get a court order, and I'll sue your ass for wrongful prosecution. You can have it your way, Mr. Venkman. Uh, but Venkman will not let him, even after he says the magic word. <laughs> Please. Please. What Man, a weird see, choice to have the bad guy be the easy the name in it. Mr. Venkman. <laughs> He's calling him Mr. Venkman. Dr. Venkman. Uh, yeah. I, this guy's such Just a shit. I want to know more about what you do here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, was it Walter Atherton? Is that actor's name or something? Yeah. Like by the way, apparently is returning in Frozen Empire. So <laughs> oh, I don't know why, but they he's available, huh? Um, yeah. yeah, he, yeah, he, you know, he's he was an asshole in in a, in a few '80s movies. He was an asshole in Die Hard, um, and a uh, real right, genius. Yeah. He definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, made his bones doing that. I, I, you know, he seemed kind of humorless in an interview once I, I, cause I, I, you know, we're for like the rest of his life, you know, wherever he went, people would call him, you know, dickless. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's not fair. He's just an actor. Um, I always I thought, think they went him with the e- hmm? I was gonna say, I think they went with the EPA because once again, blue collar versus the government has a very eighties idea. You know, government's well, going to come in and try and shut us down. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. You need a bureaucrat. He's he's basically another version of the crusty dean type of character. He's also mm-hmm. one of my favorite tropes, which is the reverse barometer, uh, where this person is never right about anything. Yeah. Um, you know that uh, my favorite one of those is uh, Dennis Franz in Die Hard Two. I think is the the most uh, reverse barometer guy in any movie I can think of, but yeah, he's, yeah, he will not trust what the ghostbusters are doing. And as we'll see later, like he's even skeptical after like obvious proof of you know crazy shit. Like he's still like, I don't know about these ghosts if they're real. So I always confuse this guy too, with like the, uh, what's his name from the fly? Like he also, the similar energy from this dude. Um, I can't think of that actor's name now. But uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, the Vengman tells him to go get a court order and we get our scene about the Twinkie where Egon says, basically, there's way too many ghosts going on. Something's up. I'm worried, Ray. It's getting crowded in there and all my recent data points to something big on the horizon. What do you mean the big? Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie... 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <coughs> That's a big Twinkie. We could be on the verge of a fourfold cross rip, a PKE surge of incredible, even dangerous proportions. We just had a visit from the Environmental Protection Agency. How's the grid holding up? It's not good. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? Uh, again, we get some more um, jargon about it. It could be like a fourfold cross rip. Whatever that means. Uh, I'm sure it means something to Dan Aykroyd. Um, and yeah, Vegman tells him, yeah, about the EPA visit. And, and Egon even warns, yeah, their, their containment grid is not holding up well. They're, they're getting overwhelmed by all of the ghost stuff. Uh, which is now time for uh, the hounds to be released at Central Park West. Mm-hmm. I love uh, the design the scene, of these things. Yeah, the, the terror hounds are great. The terror hound scared me more than the ghost, the library ghost. 
And I think the, the scene that's coming up with Sigourney Weaver, uh, the second to last time we see Dana, that one I know freaked me out for a while. Uh, I don't think you could get me to walk by a well-lit closet for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, these things are, are way up there in, uh, like, the, the Ghostbusters, like, bestiary is full of, like, all mm-hmm. kinds of weird, cool shit, especially when you bring in, like, the cartoons. Um, but, yeah, to me, yeah, the uh, the terror dogs are just, like, other than maybe the Marshmallow Man, probably the most iconic thing from the movie for me um, in terms of a, a villain or, like, a, a, a monster. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, I think because they can do so much. I mean, they're, they are more corporeal. Like, they're literally, they're not, like, floating through stuff the way Slimer does. Like, they're tearing apart stuff they're but they can still like possess you they can do all kinds of stuff they're they're you know they're not really ghosts they're something else and they're more formidable and there's that moment at the end where you almost wonder if it's a one-way trip like some there's something terrifying about once a terror dog gets you that's it you are a terror dog forever (laughs) um i mean it doesn't fully end up that way but there there's at least enough of the implication of that yeah, I mean, they you they don't give you any indication that there is a way back other than, the, you know, it, it's ultimately a comedy. It would be weird if, you know, they if Lewis and Dana died, and, <laughs> you know, were dogs forever. But like it, they are I think they are genuinely pretty effective and, and effective as a special effect as well. Like, as yeah. part, you know, because they are puppets. They're stop motion at one point. I still think this stuff looks pretty good. Yeah, it does. I think the one scene with the terror dogs that looks like looks dated now is uh running out of lewis and dana's apartment and jumping into central park that that's yeah. the one where you can really see the 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 cgi of it but i mean if that's one scene out of an entire movie of them i'll take it yeah absolutely um and so now we see dana coming home and she is missing a, a classic party this is I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie is again just letting Rick Moranis just be Rick Moranis and again improvising a lot of this. Yeah, I was really hoping we'd see him in afterlife. That would have been a, a nice little cheer. Yeah, I guess Rick Moranis is uh pretty serious about his retirement. He came out to do that Which, one commercial. That's about it. And more power to him. But that would have been nice to see what Lewis was doing years later. Yeah. He, he was missed. Um, I, I, this whole thing about like, we're going to play Twister and do break dancing. <laughs> this whole party sounds awful. Um, especially when we actually see it, uh, again, even funnier when we actually see what's going on in this party. Like it's so lame. Um, and it's not even really guests. It's stuff. not friends. It's all business acquaintances. <laughs> right. And I think he says it's for the fourth anniversary of him being an accountant. So he hasn't even been an accountant that long. <laughs> So I mean, it's, it's gotta be pretty rough. Um, but she goes home, you know, she, she makes up an excuse, you know, maybe she'll drop by later. Uh, but then this is what you're talking about. She comes home, she sits yeah. down and she get, takes a call from her mom, uh, but sits in a chair, which then pans around and we see this unholy light behind her kitchen door, like, you know, paws and like faces are sort of pushing against this door and then hands burst out of the chair and grab her and drag the chair into this glowing. Yeah. It's great. Again, horror movie stuff, not comedy stuff. And none of the switches feel jarring, which is very well done. You, you never get to a point where you're like, oh, where did that go? Everything feels very much like a natural evolution of how the story has been going. 
Yeah, and again, if this feels like they, they do so much with so little. Like what's all this going on here is like you know it's just like guys with like latex gloves, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, you can see, you can tell exactly how this was done practically. It's not that complicated. Yeah, and yet it's like I feel like. Now they would do this with a bunch of like CGI tentacles and like swirling laser lights and stuff. And it would just be like overkill. Like there's something very tactile about all of this that makes it much more scary. Yes. Uh, so we cut from this immediately to the classic party. Do you have any Excedrin or extra strength Tylenol? Gee, I think all I got is a C-to-cell-acylic acid generic. See, I can get 600 tablets of that for the same price as 300 of a name brand. That makes good financial sense, good advice. Hey, this is real smoked salmon from Nova Scotia, Canada, $24.95 a pound. It only cost me $14.12 after tax, though. I'm giving this whole thing as a promotional expense. That's why I invited clients instead of friends. You having a good time, Mark? How you doing? Why don't you have some of the brie? It's at room temperature. You think it's too warm in here for the brie? Louis, I'm going home. Well, don't leave yet. And listen, maybe if we start dancing, other people will join in. Don't move, I just gotta get the door. Ted, Annette! Nice. Glad you could come. How you doing? Give me your Hi. coats. Everybody, this is Ted and Annette Fleming. Hi, how are you? Ted has a small carpet cleaning business in receivership. Annette's drawing a salary from a deferred bonus from two years ago. They got 15000 left on the house at 8%. So they're okay. So, does anybody want to play Parcheesi? Okay, who brought the dog? Which, holy shit. Like this, I just love this entire monologue he gives. He's like, not only is he like monologuing about like business shit, everything ends with like him talking about like some sort of deduction he got these people or like, you know, here's how you save money on pharmaceuticals. Like it's... And the fact that it's all improvised just makes this miraculous. Like the way he rattles all this off is so good. Dan, I can't even imagine what his brain, like, did he practice? What was left on the cutting room floor of this scene? Like that would be an interesting view. I love the dancing too. That's really even yeah. more awkward. And the girl, once again, six inches taller than him. Like we see he has a type. Oh yeah. She's great. Classic, yeah. uh, classic 80s bimbet. Yes. Very much so, but I love, I mean, you know, when you film a scene like this, there's probably no music playing in the room for real, you know, because they have to film it uh, right, to capture right. everyone's audio. So that makes the dancing even, like, I'm sure, like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, just wave your arms around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go ahead, Rick. Just do something weird. It won't matter. Whatever music is playing is playing. Um, but he's he tosses the, the coats into his bedroom with the other coats where unfortunately Vince Clortho, the uh, terror dog is waiting. Um, and uh, we hear it growl. Uh, Lewis says, Hey, who brought the dog? And then we get the chase sequence you talked about where he just bursts out of the door and chases him out into the street mm-hmm. where it kind of overtakes him at uh, tavern on the green there in central park. And another fantastic practical effect you don't see what happens to him when he gets taken. You just see him slammed up against a glass and then slowly being dragged down. And of yeah, course, the New to, Yorkers don't care. Yeah, I was trying to wonder, like, can they? Can the others actually see Vince Clortho? Like, do they see the dog or not? You know, it may just be that it's invisible to them. I don't know. 
It's such a New York trope of like, they don't care what's happening. Nothing will phase them. Or do they not see it? It's, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that is a very New York trope of like, yeah, no matter how weird yeah. it is, people will just shrug it off. Yeah. Um, and I just, I noted in my notes here that man, does he sound Canadian as he's pleading with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice doggy. Like, it's real, real strongly Canadian here. That never um, occurred to me. Yeah. It, it's very much so. Um, so Venkman shows up at Central Park West to the aftermath of this. He's looking for Dana. He sees there's just like stuff all over the place. Clearly destroyed. Um, <laughs> I love that. So now he meets uh, Dana who is possessed. Hello. That's a different look for you, isn't it? Are you the key master? Not that I know of. Are you the key master? Yes. I'm a friend of his. He told me to meet him here. I didn't get your name. I'm Zul. I'm the gatekeeper. Oh. What are we doing today, Zul? We must prepare for the coming of Gozer. Gozer, huh? The destructor. Are we still going out? You know, you could pick up the place if you're expecting someone. Do you want this body? Is this a trick question? I guess the roses worked, huh? Take me now, sub-creature. We never talk anymore. I make it a rule. Never to get involved with possessed people. Mm. Actually, it's more of a guideline than a rule. Uh, and she's wearing this. I was wondering, like, is that a dress that like Dana Barrett owns this orange thing, or is it like ethereal <laughs> shit? Doubtful. From it does Beyond. seem like it's from the uh, Gozer. Yeah. Um, I love that he like she asks like, "Are you the keymaster?" He says, "No," and she <laughs> just slams the door on him. And then he just does it again and says, yeah, I, I'm the key master. And, and then she well, lets I'm him in. Well, he's a friend of mine. Uh, or I'm a friend yeah. of mine. Take it me now, again, some creature. Completely unflappable. Like, not even a stopping to look in Lewis's apartment. Just a, oh, police, destroyed door. Okay. Yeah, it's not like he's like, I better go back to the car and get my proton pack or something. Like, he's just like, yeah, oh, whatever. And then yeah. he just chat. He's chatting with what is obviously, you know, this possessed woman, you know, taken over by this ancient Babylonian God or whatever. And he's just, yeah, he's just still, I'm just going to use my, my casual patter on her. Although it does lead to the most problematic situation in the whole movie, considering how unflappable he is. He just carries Thorazine around in his jacket pocket. Yeah, you're right. He does drug her up to like, stop this uh temporarily yeah. but and we don't know uh you're right we don't know why he's carrying around <laughs> thorazine that is weird exactly <laughs> what was he planning to do with it when he was yeah, in his yeah. apartment if she wasn't possessed 
Yeah, that's uh, the most problematic part by far. <laughs> Um, yeah, is this where uh, this is where she levitates, right? We, you know, um, yeah, she, you know, clearly this is uh, something's up. She sleeps above the covers, four feet above the cover. <laughs> she barks, yep. she drools. Yep. Uh, so we get a quick scene of Lewis, who is possessed, running through the park, just you know, babbling. Um, he asks a horse if he's the gatekeeper, which is <laughs> great. Uh, I'm not sure what that implies about like the world of like these beings that he could not tell that maybe the horse was not the uh, the gatekeeper. Um, his eyes glow red. And of course, again, New York stuff, right? The coachman just goes, Oh, what an asshole. Yeah. Um, but I guess something happens because the police end up with Lewis cause they drop him off at the ghostbusters and they say they've already tried taking him to like the mental Institute. Like no one will take him. Um, so this is yet another amazing scene where Egon is testing Lewis who, uh, and Lewis as Vince Clortho, uh, talks about the coming of Gozer uh, with some of my favorite crazy specifics from the movie. What did you say your name was? Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. According to this, his name's Lewis Tully. Lives on Central Park West. Do you want some uh, coffee, Mr. Tully? Do I? Yes, have some. Yes, have some. Vince, you said before you were waiting for a sign. What sign are you waiting for? Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. Uh, and also a callback to the hel- popcorn strainer colander helmet machine thing that they have where we now see what happens when somebody's actually possessed and what they look like. Right. He looked the, on the screen. It's the terror. Oh dog. yeah. It's, it's not. The terror yeah. Dog. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dan, I remember I got you for, I think probably your birthday or Christmas or something. I got you the, the Tobin spirit guide that the, somebody oh, put yeah. out. Yeah. And I think a lot of the weird shit that is rattled off by Lewis here is in the book of like, Oh, we'll show you a picture of a slore. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many shubs in, Oh, Shubs and Zool learned what it was like to be roasted in the depths of a slur that day. Yeah, I was, you know, I always wondered, you know, how much of a dork Vince Cortho was and how much of it was just him sort of melding with Lewis Tully. And I think it was more of a melding. That's a vibe I always got was that Lewis somehow affected Vince a little bit more than average. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but again, like the specifics here, this is all stuff that has to come from. It's either um, Rick Moranis riffing or um, specifics from Dan Aykroyd in the script. Like all of the, the oh, the the rectification yeah. of the Voldroni and stuff. Like it's it doesn't re- apply to anything that I'm aware of, but like it just sounds so good coming out of his mouth. It just you know, he just rattles this stuff off like it was nothing. Uh, like brilliant stuff from from Rick Moranis here. Uh, I have the Tobin Spirit Guide. I'll have to check that out. I don't think I've ever opened it. I've just put it in the bookcase, but yeah, I have to look into that. It's pretty cool. Uh, And so, yeah, so Janine is worried about this stuff. She's worried, you know, Egon will die. And that's where we get a call from Venkman. He's reporting from Dana's apartment as to what's going on there. Um, And he says, oh, we got to get these two together. And Egon says, that would be extraordinarily dangerous. Um, And 
for some reason, Bill Murray decides to leave her alone and says, <laughs> I got to go to work. And she's just there like panting. Um, I don't know why he's leaving her alone. It feels like someone needs to be on her at all times. Like she's too dangerous well, to be left alone. I guess he figures also, the there's the, work. And there's that interesting line from Janine about she's very psychic. It's a odd place for this to come up now, considering everything that we've established in the movie so far. Yeah. I that never comes up again as far as I know that they No, I mean and, in either of them. Uh yeah. No, I don't think she comes in and like Ghostbusters 2 and is like I have a bad feeling about this painting. <laughs> no, in fact she lets a baby get kidnapped 5 feet away. That's a yeah. different discussion. Yeah. Uh so we get to the scene of Ray and Winston now in the car and they're talking about the fact that uh, maybe all of the stuff in the book of revelations is coming true. Uh, and they are real nervous about it. Harry, do you believe in God? Never met him. Yeah, well, I do. And I love Jesus's style, you know. This roof cap is made of a magnesium tungsten alloy. What are you so involved with that? These are the blueprints for the structural ironwork in Dana Barrett's apartment building, and they're very, very strange. Hey, Ray. Do you remember something in the Bible about the last days when the dead would rise from the grave? I remember Revelation 7, 12. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment day. Judgment day. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world myth Ray has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave how about a little music yeah I, I like this because again it's like we're, we're slowing down the comedy for a minute to get kind of real mm-hmm. about the, the looming threat. And I, I think this works. I think it's actually, there is a lot of dread in this scene. Okay. Nobody has any thoughts about this scene. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I think you said it perfectly. It, it's really t- starting to tie together all these threads. Like all these things have been kind of happen, happening disjointedly. And this is the first time we're, given a framework for it, which unfortunately is the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, what I remember is, uh, you know, this is, this is Winston and, and, and Ray in the car. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Winston's talking about the Bible and, and it's getting real bleak or whatever. And then uh, Ray's like, how about a little music? And then they turn it yeah. on. It's like, it's, it's just like the goofiest music to uh, come out of that front. Yeah. Again, I think the score is great. All of the licensed stuff is weird and like bizarrely literal. Like it's, all yeah. like, I remember the time I was busting some ghosts and like, it's just, it's like, just here's what you're seeing on the screen right now. Um, all right. So uh, we, it's the next morning and the EPA and the cops roll up to the firehouse. Peck has the court order. Um, they try to stop Peck from what he's doing, but he orders the machine to be shut off. Uh, which unfortunately uh, happens. 
which then causes everyone to run out of there. And we get a big explosion of pink ghost energy out of the uh, containment unit. Once again, two actors, each given three lines, do a phenomenal job. The cop and the Con Ed guy. Yeah, I, I, I this is, a, you know, an amazing sequence because it only works if you believe that Peck really doesn't think the ghosts are real and that it's all a, a sham. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you have these guys telling you, like, even if you believe that, like, this thing is not environmentally safe or sound, if they're telling you, like, just, you know, just pulling the plug on it will cause, a you know, something worse to happen, then you need him to say, like, oh, well, then we need to find a way to shut this thing down safely, and, you know, or something, you know, you have a week to do it or something. Instead, he's like, no, mm-hmm. yank the plug. I don't care that they're telling you this is really, really bad. Um, yeah. It's very funny to have a character who's this again wrong about everything all the time. Yeah, I, feel- I, I like the Con Ed guys' obvious reluctance because he's the only one of that group that understands something horrible is about to happen. Yeah, even he knows. He's like, "Really? Yeah. I gotta do it." <laughs> he's, he's very reluctant <laughs> to actually pull the switch. Um, and I like the way we do it. We never really see much of, you know, the containment unit or how it works or anything or what's behind that wall. Cause like, we just see a bunch of like light pouring mm-hmm. out of the bricks first before the explosion. Um, very, very cool. I know there were some episodes of the real ghostbusters where they like went inside the containment unit and you could see like, oh, what yeah. it was like. Yeah. I don't, it was like a void, like a void full of like lines and stuff. Like it made no sense. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it explodes uh, and now we get this montage of, you know, the ghosts are loose all over the city again. So like Slimer and the thing, full, the hot dog cart, um, this thing that comes out of the subway. That's just like spindly bones and stuff. <laughs> a lot of that. That's, I mean, again, when you die, after you die, if you've lived a good and fulfilling life, you get to go. Well, Afterlife taught us that, you know, Egon got to be like normal, pretty normal ghost, but everyone else is a big ball of pus. <laughs> <laughs> or doing yeah. their job they come back to drive the taxi again yeah that sucks right you just <laughs> yeah. have to go do, get back to work uh, and I like that he's like a zombie like he's not even a ghost like he's like that's a very yeah. like physical presence like of that puppet uh, but pretty cool um, and we get some shots of like the, those streams of light going through the city which I think look pretty good uh, even in 2024 Um and like we see like Dana like you know wakes up and she's like almost presiding over watching this happen. Really neat. Um and she like blows open her entire window too, which is like a cool moment. Yeah, very good scene. Uh, and now we get to the Ghostbusters in jail for another really fun scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like nope, they're just being left alone with their blueprints to talk shop. The structure of this roof cap is exactly like the kind of telemetry tracker that NASA uses to identify dead pulsars in deep space. Cold, riveted girders with cores of pure selenium. Everybody getting this so far? So what? I guess they just don't make them like they used to, huh? No! Nobody ever made them like this. I mean, the architect was either a certified genius or an authentic wacko. Ray, for a moment, pretend that I don't know anything about metallurgy, engineering, or physics, and just tell me what the hell is going on. You never studied. The whole building is a huge superconductive antenna that was designed and built expressly for the purpose of pulling in and concentrating spiritual turbulence. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse 
of Spook Central. She's not my girlfriend. I find her interesting because she's a client and because she sleeps above her covers. Four feet above her covers. She barks, she drools, she claws. It's not the girl, Peter, it's the building. Something terrible is about to enter our world and this building is obviously the door. The architect's name was Evo Shandor. I found it in Tobin's spirit guide. He was also a doctor, performed a lot of unnecessary surgery. And then in 1920, he started a secret society. Let me guess, Gozer worshippers. Right. No studying. After the First World War, Shandor decided that society was too sick to survive. And he wasn't alone. He had close to a thousand followers when he died. They conducted rituals up on the roof. Bizarre rituals intended to bring about the end of the world. And now it looks like it may actually happen. So be good, for goodness sake. Whoa, somebody's we coming. We have to get out of here. With, with everyone else. I mean, very 80s looking group of guys in jail with them. But it's great to see all the other prisoners people who are in there like slowly become more and more interested as they're talking to each other yeah well i feel like it yeah peck thinks they're all a bunch of idiots but as far as we can tell new york at large are big fans of the ghostbusters so these probably are all like, oh shit i'm in the jail with the ghostbusters this is cool i want to watch this yeah i mean it's great Uh, when they're all like around the blueprints yeah yeah Yep. Uh, Another one of my favorite jokes. No studying. (laughs) No studying. Uh, We get a lot of lore here. This is where we get our like our biggest lore dump about Evo Shandor, who designed this building to basically be like a psychic radio antenna to call up ghosts and Gozer in particular. He was a a cultist. He had thousands of followers. They perform. He performed unnecessary surgery. Uh, But the goal was to bring about the end of the world. Um and uh, somebody's coming. Once again, Bill Murray coming. being his like lounge singer from SNL in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, but yeah, I this bit of, like this one like paragraph of lore becomes the basis for that video game and a lot of Afterlife. It's impressive. Yeah, how they I, just mine the shit out of this. And, and what they did with them, I, like it. It really felt appropriate for the lore of both the movie and afterlife to be taken from this one paragraph. I mean, it's, it is cool and evocative. This like gozer worshiper yeah. thing. You know, I mean, it makes sense. Um, but this explains why the ghosts have been going off the charts lately is that this, mm-hmm. you know, this world ending event that these guys set up is now actually coming to fruition. Like there's a, there is a deliberate effort to concentrate ghost energy and, and ghosts in the city. Uh, to herald the coming of Gozer. Um, the so coming of Ramus. The coming of Ramus. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the, we find out the mayor wants to see them. We get a quick moment of Lewis and Dana finding each other. At last, the key master and the gatekeeper connect. Uh, it was only until adulthood when I realized that was a penis and vagina joke. Yes, yes, sir. In uh, fact, yes. way older into adulthood and much older than I want to admit before I realized. Oh, right. They had sex. Yes. Oh, it's a key and a lock. I get, okay. Um, so, yeah. But I love Yeah, She plants this big kiss on him, which is funny. And then they just this stairway is just there that mm-hmm. leads up to the roof. Um, 
So now we go back to you know, the Ghostbusters being herded up to City Hall for this meeting with the mayor. And again, like Peck is saying stuff about like, oh, well, they're using nerve gas to cause hallucination. It's like, Jesus, how much evidence do you need to convince you that that's not what's <laughs> happening? And another fantastic lore building scene talking about just the weird random things that they're running into. The the walls of a police station are bleeding or some of these ghosts are conversable. Or wait, is this one with Fiera LaGuardia or is that Ghostbusters 2? I think LaGuardia is in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, that, that okay. mention. Yeah, uh, but you're right. Like like the 53rd Precinct were bleeding. Yeah. And uh, then the clergy comes up, this like <laughs> archbishop or whatever that the mayor happens to know on a first name basis, which like hints at more that I guess is not in the script. But he's like, yeah, Mike, what should I do? <laughs> he calls him Mike yeah. instead of like father or whatever. Um, and I like that he says, yeah, the church won't take an official position. It's like, well, sh- again, like shit, man, you just see you've just all seen irrefutable evidence of the afterlife. I think you might need to go back and rework some of your religious texts now. <laughs> This is the one thing that bothers me about afterlife, which is people act like, oh, well, the, you know, the Ghostbusters or whatever. That's just a you know, no one remembers this. I'm like, there's no way nobody remembers this. Yeah. This is like this is like the most consequential event in human history. Um, it, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that that's for some reason they seem to hit this reset button between every movie that just does not seem like it would happen. Yes. Yeah. The Ghostbusters caused damage, but there is a 50, there's a kaiju walking through New York. Like nobody's going to forget that that happened. And then cameras, people still had cameras back then. Exactly. And then between Ghostbusters 2 and Afterlife, like, you know, proof of not only the dead, but a, a figure from the past coming back. Like that's essentially time travel in a weird way. Yet, no, everyone forgot about it. Yeah, they forgot about the day the Statue of Liberty walked across. Yeah, <laughs> to uh, to Manhattan. Um, all right, so uh, we uh, the Ghostbusters then try to convince the mayor, uh, which they do successfully, for help. I'm uh, Winston Zettimore, Yana. Look, I've only been with the company for a couple of weeks, but I got to tell you, these things are real. Since I joined these men, I have seen shit that'll turn you white. Well, you could believe Mr. Pecker. My name is Peck. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. What if you're wrong? If I'm wrong, nothing happens. We go to jail peacefully, quietly. We'll enjoy it. But if I'm right, then we can stop this thing. Lenny, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. Winston says he has seen shit that will turn you white. Uh, And we get our dogs and cats living together line from bill murray yet another like classic from him mm-hmm. uh but he tells the mayor of course if he's right then they will have saved the lives of uh millions of registered voters which like amazing they need that level of cynicism 
to be like, look, you've got a giant ghost problem. There's literally, when you say who you're going to call, they're the only game in town. So, uh, so uh, Another get... one of those great jokes that I found when I was older versus younger, uh, the dickless joke, as we mentioned oh, earlier. so good. And yes, then during the yelling, Bill Murray yells, well, that's what I heard. Like, he heard it 30 seconds ago from Dan Aykroyd. But that's his justification mm-hmm. for calling him dickless. That line is so good because it's a callback to something you heard just like a little too long ago for it's not, it's not like he's responding to the last thing that was said. It was like a few back. So your brain goes, all right, he did say, he did call him dickless. Yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect joke. Um, so now we get the cops clear the streets for the ghostbusters Mm -hmm. and they escort Ecto one to central park West. I love Bill Murray saying, let's run some red lights. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they were already doing that. Um, you can just put a siren on top of your car and you get to run red lights. That's how it works. You know what? Um, Prove them wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's, now there's a whole crowd out there. There's people with like prefabricated signs that say repent at hand, which is like, so people have been planning for this shit. Um, oh. There's like rabbis davening out there. Um, <laughs> so good. Uh, like th- this whole crowd, like there's so much going on. Um, and then they get sucked into the street. Like there's an earthquake and then they pop right back out of it. Um, nice way to kind of like, you cut the tension for a moment mm-hmm. and then like, Oh, okay. We're back to cheering and everything's cool. Like it's, it is kind of fun a, to see all the like standard, like New Yorkers that are there. Isn't there like a yes. priest or something or a rabbi or both? Or There are. Well, priests, and then there's yeah. the punks and there's like business. They just go down the stereotype list of all the different New Yorkers. One thing I like about this sequence from the uh, mayor's office to in the building is it's great tension building and reduction and building like you're just talking about. You know, you get the gung-ho, we're all going to save the world. Oh, crap, did they all just die from a massive event that nobody could prepare for? Oh, great, they're saving the world again. What floor are we on? <laughs> it's yeah, wonderful filming, yeah. Very funny uh, shot of them taking the stairs. They're going to throw mm-hmm. up, it's, you know, 20 floors or whatever up. Um, and we start to like, we're, we're coming towards the end here. So we've got like Dana and Lewis, like waking up on a slab uh, with like lightning around this unholy sky. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to uh, the apartment with the Ghostbusters. It's you know, destroyed. I love that matte painting of them, like standing in the apartment and you can see yes. like where it's like missing from the rest of the building against the city. Um, I miss matte paintings in general. I think that just looks really cool. Uh, but yeah, now we, so, so now the Lewis and Dana turn into dogs with lightning and this opens up the door to Gozer's realm, the big one on top of the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they take their place by the pyramid and Gozer steps out and we meet her. It for the first time. Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city County and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Are you a god? No. Then.
Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! All right. This chick is toast! Interesting story about Gozer. They originally were going to have it be Paul Rubens in, like, a business suit. Hmm. So many bad possible choices. I don't know. Uh, I, don't I was know. thinking about that. I, uh, I, yeah, I could get behind that. I could see a world where, like, Gozer was more, like, chatty. Because um, mm-hmm. here, Gozer doesn't say very much. Um, scary. Like, the design of Gozer, I think, is pretty mm-hmm. effective and scary. Uh, especially with those awful red contacts they have on this poor model who's uh, the character. Um, but, like, I like the idea almost of, like, Gozer coming across as, like, you know, after all of this outlandish stuff, we get a more human-looking presence um and i could see paul rubens doing something really interesting with that but i still like what we got but i i don't know i, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea yeah no I, that that's very interesting i think they could have played off it well i i mean just at least until the stay puff marshmallow man would have been a different movie because this model and alien terror lends itself to probably one of the more famous lines of the whole movie, if somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. But the lightning and the disappearing, I don't think Paul Rubens would have worked as well with all that. He wouldn't have been scary. He could be like quietly yeah. intimidating, but I don't think he could have been outright scary. Um, also, Paul Rubens in a suit by this point already, Pee Wee Herman was a thing. So yeah. maybe that's just too, too close to that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, and I know Gozer, I forget the actress's name. There's a different person who's dubbing over her voice because she mm-hmm. had a real heavy accent. Um, and I don't even know like what to make of this. Like she's wearing like a leotard, but it's covered in this like white ethereal, like it almost looks like um, bubble wrap. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much like bubble wrap. Yeah, I don't know what it's meant to convey. It, it is very like strange and like, again, not not like anything you see anywhere else. Like it, it's unique. Yeah. So, um, but yes, you're right. We get the entreaty between Ray and Gozer. Yeah. Uh, he asks her to cease all supernatural activity and return to her point of origin or the nearest parallel dimension. Like still going with the jargon yes. this far in, like really, really good. Um, they decide to you know blast her with the proton packs. They try, they miss, mm-hmm. uh, and then Gozer disappears and tells them to choose uh, the form of the traveler. Uh, before Peter can tell them to try and empty their heads, we hear Gozer say the choice is made. Uh, and we get to, again, one of the most iconic things in the movie. Yes. What do you mean choose? We don't understand. Choose. Choose the form of the destructor. Oh, I get it. I get it all. Very cute. Whatever we think of. If we think of J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover will appear and destroy us, okay? So empty your heads. Empty your heads. Don't think of anything. We've only got one shot at this. The choice is made. Whoa, oh, whoa. The traveler has come. Nobody choose anything. Did you choose anything? No. Did you? The line is totally blank. I didn't choose anything. 
I couldn't help it. It just popped in there. What? What just popped in there? I, I, I tried to think. Look! No! It can't be. What is it? It can't be. What did you do, Ray? Oh, shit. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Uh, and a great way of building it up as well. You get instantaneous choices made. The back and forth between all the Ghostbusters of who could have done it. <laughs> Absolutely shell-shocked Ray talking about Cap Laconda and tried to think of the one thing that couldn't stop us. And then you get the, you know, the head between the buildings before that final shot of the marshmallow man stomping on cars. And I like the buildup where you hear just like the thumping of the feet. Yeah. First, like it's almost like jaws. And you just hear like this boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what it's going to be until he just says the stay puff marshmallow man. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, they kept finding a way to work the fucking marshmallow man into so much stuff in in the cartoon. They tried to like shoehorn him in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, yeah, like they he had some kind of deeper or significance. You know? <laughs> like, oh, we all want to see Stay Puft again. I'm like, well, it really only fits because of this one unique use case for for Stay Puft. Yeah. Um, very fun. I remember in the game, I think you blast him. And I don't remember if that's meant to be like taking place at the end of this movie or it's like, uh oh, the Stay Puft marshmallow. No, man they they come up. No. they had come up with some reason, which is like. I think I think the reason in the game was once the uh, destructor takes a form in a dimension, like that's the form for that dimension. And I think there was also so he's not a stay puffs. Yeah, it doesn't explain the little stay puffs in Afterlife. Other than that, I guess again, Gozer influence is involved, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, that's just a marketing choice at that point. So, right. Yeah, yeah, we gotta have a, a stay puffed in there. Um, just I mean, just a cool like yeah, I said a kaiju scene. But the effects are really good. Like it, it looks convincing yeah. that like this thing is traipsing through New York. And I also enjoy the pacing of the Stay Puft fight because it's got to be what twelve minutes start to finish. Uh, between it feels like it goes up. on longer than it does. Yeah, yeah, it's paced very well for uh, four guys fighting a kaiju. I mean, I'm not sure what else could have been done there. Yeah, they. I mean, they blast it and it burns a bit, but it doesn't stop him entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, the but Egon hits on the idea that hey, this door of spiritual energy swings both ways. So if we cross the streams, we can reverse it. There is definitely a very slim chance we'll survive. And this is the most like unflappable Venkman shit, where he goes like, "I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part <laughs> of it." Like he should be more like freaked out or something at this point, but yeah. nope, he's God damn it. He's Bill Murray. Yeah, that is one Bill of the weirder uh, responses. He's just like happy to commit suicide. Um, yep. I do believe that uh, this is true. As strange as it sounds, the, at some point, you know, he says this chick is toast, which mm-hmm. is the first use of toast to mean that like somebody being toast mm-hmm. is actually in this movie, which is strange. You would have thought that would have happened uh, a lot earlier, but it, that actually put it in the vernacular. I did not know that. I feel like that, yeah, that had been around for longer than that, but that's and awesome I feel like that's there's, true. Apparently not. 
And there's something with its Miller time. Like, I'm not sure if it was a uh, uh, commercial being used, but it definitely was like towards more of its infancy if it wasn't from here first. Wow, there's so much quotable stuff. It's funny that there's yeah. like something like that, like slips kind of below the rate of like, oh yeah, everybody just says that now. Nobody thinks about Ghostbusters. Yeah. Whereas as opposed to the other stuff that you would quote from this movie directly. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, uh, so Winston says this job is definitely not worth eleven <laughs> yeah. five a year. Uh, I did the math in twenty twenty four dollars. That is thirty four thousand fifty four dollars a year. So mm-hmm. I think below minimum wage is what they're and they're paying poor not, Winston. And it's not worth that. <laughs> no, it is definitely not worth that to get your <laughs> have your life be endangered by cosmic forces and ghosts and stuff. Um, but they cross the streams. There's a gigantic explosion. Stay puffed explodes in a ball of fire. And marshmallow goo rains on the crowd, um, especially Peck, who apparently was like 75 <laughs> pounds of shaving cream they dumped on him for this shot. Uh, it works, yes, man. And probably he's just right there where he gets the, the bulk yeah. of it. It's, uh, I heard that the cast was actually getting kind of itchy, like because you're not supposed to having shaving cream on your skin for that long. Yeah. Um, so they were I getting like, rashes and stuff. So that's what it is. Another, it's obviously uh, not marshmallow, it's shaving cream. But another fantastic visual joke are all the Ghostbusters and then Venkman. You see, yeah, all they're, they're all like a dollop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're all covered head to toe, and he's just got the little bit on his head. And that's, I mean, that's him, right? He walks between the raindrops and all this stuff. That's perfect yeah. encapsulation of who he is. Um, so, yeah, but the, he, I think he got, he feels like the floor of a taxi cab. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, they fortunately are able to crack open the stone uh, statues of the uh, the terror dogs, and inside are Lewis and Dana unharmed. <sighs> Somebody turn on the lights. Go check on that little guy. Attendant's gonna be pissed. Are you okay? Who are you guys? We're the Ghostbusters. Who does your taxes? You know, Mr. Tully, you are a most fortunate individual. I know. You have been a participant in the biggest interdimensional cross rip since the Tunguska Blast of 1909. Felt great. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Okay. He offers to do the Ghostbusters taxes, which is nice. Uh, in exchange this is said, for a brain sample. In exchange for a brain sample, yeah. Uh, which I suspect he gives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we get the closing line from uh, from Winston. He gets to say, I love this town. Uh, so we go to the cheering crowd below. Uh, you know, we got Ray Parker going again. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a bunch of, like, fun little visual details, like, in this part of the credits here. 
there's like a bunch of like priests like blessing a pile of marshmallow. Like I never noticed that before, <laughs> but I like that. Um, um, and then is it Ron Jeremy is... in there at some point? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. He, I don't remember if he's in this one or the first one, but yeah, Ron Jeremy's an extra in one of those two scenes. Huh. Um, I Lewis begging for someone to interview him. Yeah, that's very cute. Yeah, they treat him like he's just like a random weirdo. They like put a blanket on him and yeah. put him away. I want to go in the car with the other guys. Yeah, very cute. Um, and they drive away, and Slimer flies at the screen, and that's the end. Um, so guys, here we are at the end of of this incredible movie. Um, what do you think it is that makes people still, you know? Just, I mean, look, we're like I said, we're getting this legacy sequel, another legacy yeah. sequel this year. Um, what has made the Ghostbusters last for 40 years? Um, well, you know, again, it's a real movie. I mean, it actually has a real plot. Uh, it doesn't need to be funny to be a good movie. Um, the fact that it's funny, you know, it's just a, a, a bonus. Um, my friend Ryan Harrison likes to say that comedy is not a genre. You know, it's just a tool. And uh, I like to think of uh, Ghostbusters as a quintessential, you know, movie that contains comedy versus a comedy movie. Um, It's an original idea. It's it takes place in a very uh, iconic uh, setting, you know, 1980s New York. Um, It has a lot of ideas in there that all serve one single idea, which is, again, that's just a really good one that like if you could exterminate ghosts, what would that do? Um, and it approaches it, uh, you know, methodically and, and, and that doesn't take it for granted. So it's just a solid story with great character. I mean, the characters really is the answer. It's got great characters that, that are all very unique and, 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 um, endearing in their own way. They're great heroes. Dylan, your thoughts? Uh, I think I, all of that, of course, but I, you know, it's just a completely tight movie. Everything on this was done exceedingly well. The cinematography, the score, the acting, the writing, the flow, the pacing. Um, I know three, four scenes got released on uh, the DVD when that first came out of Cut Material. And this was one of the first movies that I've watched Cut Material and went, oh, yeah, I get it. Like that would have interrupted the flow or that wasn't as good on the same level. And so, I mean, even the producing on this is top tier. I think all of those things working together create the quintessential lightning in a bottle. And, you know, those movies do follow for generations on. You can still watch 12 Angry Men now, and that was released how many years ago, and find it as relevant today and i think ghostbusters is showing that in the same way yeah i think you've got kind of this confluence of things all working together to make this movie mm-hmm. not only just work individually as a great movie in 1984 but you know still here in 2024 yeah. that you know you've got these incredible performances from these you know once in a generation comedians um you've got the tight writing you've got an incredible amount of detail in this movie. Like we've been talking about some of these little things you barely pick up on the first 20 times you watch it. (laughs) Um, There are 
Um, but the fantasy of it is also so well realized, right? That you've got, you know, like if it's Halloween and I'm looking for a movie to watch, like my kids can watch this, I can watch this and still get just as much out of it. And the iconography is so good that like, if I, you know, if I had unlimited money, like I would have a shelf that had like a proton pack on it and a PKE meter. And, you know, like I still have some of those real Ghostbusters toys in my parents' place stashed away. Um, because like it just, it, the world it imagines is like, from a like fantastical, I want to go there standpoint. So good. Like you, know, you, you want to be a ghostbuster. Like you want to strap yeah. on one of these things and like go into a, uh, a dilapidated hospital somewhere and take down a bunch of these ghosts and ghouls and stuff. And so like, it gives you everything you want. It's like all the fantasy, all the sci-fi, all the comedy and, and all the wish fulfillment. And, you know, and all the Halloween you could want all in one package. Like it, you can't beat this. Um, it's just that good. So uh, I, I think wait. one of the things that we touched on too, was the accessibility. They are blue collar. You can put yourself into this movie at almost every step of the way and say, how would I have handled that? What would I have done in that scene? And I think that really speaks to, to the reason why we watch movies. Yeah. Um, all right. So guys, here we are at the end. Uh, I want to give you guys a chance to plug anything if you need to. Dylan, is there anything you want to plug or people should know about? Uh, uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Kingdom. I mean, hopefully <laughs> enough people see it, but we, we you can't claim any credit for Frozen this. Empire, but yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to, but you know, I can still plug it. I'm a fan. Right. Sure. Uh, Dan, anything for you to plug at this time? Uh, I want to plug in my AirPods because they died finally uh, during the last few minutes here. So you might want to check that on the audio here uh, on my recording. I've got you guys down real low, so it's not uh, hopefully interfering too badly. Um, no. Um, yeah, I, uh, this was this was nice. Thanks for welcoming I me, mean, Doug. I like to spread awareness. Um, um, you know, this is a little bit of a, a, a tough podcast for me right now because I'm dealing with some 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 pain issues. Um, but, uh, you know, resolving them and, 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 and done well with them in the past for, so for anybody out there who's dealing with strange, uh, uh unexplained, uh, paranormal phenomena in the form of, of weird body symptoms, uh, you know, I do encourage you to, to check out, uh, mind body practices. Um, you know, the, the brain does uh, have an incredible, uh, impact, uh, on this stuff. And in some cases can generate it a uh, whole clock. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there, and um, I would say, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're Googling things, you know, Googling uh, mind-body or the work of Alan Gordon, um, you know, those things will kind of get you started on, on some stuff in case you're dealing with some weird shit and, and you're a stressed-out person and you're like, huh, maybe maybe there is uh, there is something else going on. Well, that's awesome. Um, I, I, I I would encourage anybody to seek out wellness uh, where they can. Uh, I would also encourage you to check out our old show. Go look for a podcast with evil because that was a lot of fun. And uh, so if you want to hear more of me and Dan just doing our usual shit, uh, that's where you would find it. Um, if you have thoughts on uh, this show, I'll put links to all our socials in the show notes, of course. So we're on all of the usual social media networks. Um, I've also started putting some bullshit stuff of me doing impressions on TikTok, so you can look for nostalgia mark up there um in addition to the other stuff 
Um, so if you have thoughts on our recent episodes, which uh, if I'm doing my math right and we're recording this out of order, uh, last up was Batman Returns. Before that was Crash Bandicoot. And before that, My Best Friend's Wedding. Coming up next, I believe, is A League of Their Own. So uh, we'll have no crying in baseball coming up next. If you have thoughts on that. So um, that's what's in the pipeline. And of course, if you do have time, please do uh, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you found the podcast because that uh, helps us out a bunch. Um, so thanks again, guys for coming in and doing this. Uh, this was a, a real treat to me. revisit. Yeah, thank you very much. This was a blast. All right, so until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgium Arcanum. Who you gonna call? <laughs> Hi, I'm Ray Parker Jr., writer and performer of the Academy Award-nominated hit single, Ghostbusters. From the major motion picture, Ghostbusters. But that's just one song. I've written so many other major motion picture theme songs and submitted them throughout the year. Now, they're available and together for one specially priced compilation. Songs like, you tried to play the game, but it's driving you insane. Jumanji, danger in the jungle. Jumanji, there's lion in my house. Come on, Mr. Computer. Throw me a bone. I said, Lawn mower man, get up off of my lawn. When Armageddon is near, you better get out of here. Look like a big empire. I ain't afraid of no destroy. Watch out behind you. They're trying to find you. Pelican Brief. It's getting legal, y'all.